Let's read now together from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father God, thank you for our pastor, Robin. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control of everything. You are the almighty God. We have nothing to fear. And Lord, we know you will provide. We've heard about you, Agape. Lord, and we just love you because we know you love us so much. Lord, you made Robin our pastor. And he's a teacher of your word. Oh, Lord, come with your Holy Spirit. Bless him, his mind and his heart, while he's sharing with us. And that make our ears willingly and, and eagerly receiving, uh, also by the power of your Holy Spirit, what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. When Marilyn and I moved from the Netherlands to Canada in 1982, our first jobs were with the driver training company. Actually, my first job was as a short order chef in a restaurant, but that only lasted for one shift, so I don't think that counts. Um, Marilyn's sister, who worked as a driving instructor, got us jobs working in the office of the driving school. And as a result, we actually learned a fair bit about you know, driver education. Um, one of the interesting facts that we learned was that according to insurance adjusters, when a car goes off the road into a field and there's one tree in the field, the car almost invariably hits the tree. Statistically, it shouldn't, but it does. So they did some studies and they discovered that what's actually happening is that when people go off the road into the field and they see a tree and they go, oh no, there's a tree. I don't want to hit the tree. And they're looking at the tree and lo and behold, they hit the tree. <laughs> because you move towards what you focus on. You move towards what you focus on. So last week, Janira spoke about the first point of the church's purpose statement, to glorify and enjoy the one true God. And when we look at the purpose statement, we might think that the um, first point is about glorifying God, and then the other three points are about three other points. 
But in reality, the whole purpose statement is about glorifying God. Just the last three focus in on particular ways that we can do that. So this week, we're going to talk about glorifying God through growing together in Christ-focused faith. When I was at school, I was in um, various, at various points. I was in the Boys Brigade. I was in the Scouts. I was in the Air Cadets. Um, I've been part of a chess club. Uh, in later life, I became part of a sailing club. In the Scouts, I learned to tie knots and to go camping. Um, in the Air Cadets, I learned about aerodynamics, and I got a glider pilot's license. Um, that's like real gliders, as in airplanes without engines, rather than hang gliders, which are just big big kites that you hang on to, right? Um, in the chess club, I learned to play chess. And in the sailing club, I improved my sailing skills. Now, these are all good things, right? Uh, learning things together is usually more enjoyable than working on them by yourselves. And groups like that are good for building relationships, too. And sometimes the church can look a lot like these kinds of groups. Meet once a week, people connect with one another, they take part in various activities. There's often an aspect of learning something new, an idea or a skill. And in the first century, when Peter was writing his letter, there were voluntary associations of all kinds in those days, too. They met together to discuss and learn about politics or religion or for other reasons there were funeral clubs where people would get together and eat and you had a commitment that they'd all get together when one of them died they'd all pay for the other guy's burial in fact some writers think that a large part of the problem in Corinth was upper class believers were treating the church meetings and specifically their their love feasts their agape meals their communion services They were treating them just like they were another one of these social club gatherings where it was quite acceptable to overeat and get drunk. Although churches can sometimes look like social clubs, and they actually do share some features with social clubs, they also have some fundamental differences. This passage in Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So from that passage, from that text, there's actually two things that make us stand out from other groups that might meet together. First of all, We're focused on Christ. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And secondly, we have the goal of helping people grow together and living out their faith. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, encouraging one another. We are a Christ-focused, a Christ-centered community of people. The only reason we're here this morning is because of Christ. On any given Sunday, the vast majority of us are people who have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Although there's all 
space for people who are just looking, people who are interested, people who are moving towards Jesus. But without Christ, there's really no reason for us to be here, to come together on a Sunday morning. We come from different countries. We speak different languages. We have different social and cultural backgrounds. We even come from different faith traditions within Christianity. We have Pentecostals and Presbyterians. Don't raise your hands, okay? We have, we, have Pente- <laughs> we have Pentecostals and Presbyterians, Brethren and Baptists, Methodists and Mennonites, Anglicans and Anabaptists. The only thing that holds us together is Jesus Christ. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Our hope is in Christ. Our faith, our community is Christ-centered. What do I mean by that? Well, in many areas of our lives, we set up boundaries, right? We set up boundaries about who's in and who's out. It's a perfectly normal human thing to do. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. For instance, there's a boundary around our families, We have a higher obligation to people who are in our family than those than we have to outsiders. I saw that when I was in hospital. And every patient had at least one family member with them in the hospital, caring for them. Pretty much the standard approach in any Asian country that I've lived in is that when you go into hospital, somebody goes to hospital with you. And the hospital's set up that way. There's a place for the companion to sleep. And for every bed place, the hospital hospital provides two meals. So Marilyn got fed when she came into the hospital as well. Because people have an obligation to care for their family members. But they don't have for those outside the family, right? So if somebody cares for a person that they have no relationship to, like they they, they have a heart attack on the street and somebody cares for them, they don't know who they are, people are commended for that. If somebody doesn't care for somebody in their, somebody else in their family, usually they're condemned for that, right? There's an expectation that you care for those inside your family. And many churches work on the same principle. There's a definite boundary between who's in and who's out. Often you have to hold a particular sect of doctrines, a particular flavor of Christianity to be able to be a member. Or... You have to come from a particular economic or social or ethnic group. Otherwise, you're always a permanent outsider. Years ago, um, a missiologist by the name of Paul Hebert uh, identified two different ways of thinking about church. One is called a... This might sound a little bit like a lecture. I hope it doesn't. Um, One is called a bounded set and the other is called a, a centered set. There we go. This is what a bounded set looks like. It's a very static model of church. There's a clear line that lets you know who's in and who's out. Uh, There is one person uh, who's on the edge. I don't know quite how how do I do this here? Is that it? Yeah. No, Ah, that didn't work. Sorry. (laughs) Hit the wrong button. Give me a sec. And we're back. Uh, I won't bother trying to point anything. so there's one guy down the bottom there who's on the line, but we don't know whether he's in or out, whether he's moving one way or the other. Um, 
Everybody else is either in or out, and it's very clear. And for churches, that line is usually a set of doctrinal beliefs and behavioral standards, things to believe and ways to behave. That's what decides whether you're in or out. If it helps, um, you can think of a bounded set as like a horse corral, you know, like American West, guys, you know, the cowboys build a fence and they keep the horses inside the corral. Outside the fence, there's wild animals and rustlers who, you know, want to kill or steal the horses. Uh, The fence serves to protect the cowboys' property. It makes it easier for them to feed them, care for their herd. Now, occasionally a wild gets into into the corral, but it's immediately shot. I'm talking about corrals, okay? <laughs> For churches, that line is usually, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't, 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 shoot the, yeah, don't shoot the messenger. Anyway, sometimes, however, uh, cowboys go out, they, they, they capture mustangs on the range, they bring them back, they kind of, you know, break them, they tame them, so they can, you know, learn to live within the safety of the fence. Um, and they learn it's pretty good. There's no, there's no predators there. Food's easy to, e- easy to get. It's safe. It's warm. Um, and you can see, apart from the shooting people, this, some of the similarities <laughs> with churches, right? I mean, there's doctrinal statements that we have to adhere to to be, get in. Uh, the pastor and the elders of the council. That kind of thing. I'm much more interested in the other model, which is what's called a centered set of church, model of church. There aren't any boundaries. There aren't any walls. There's no dividing line between them and us. No rules or guidelines to determine who's in or out. Everyone's loved. Everyone's welcomed. Everyone's accepted, no matter what. So how is that any different from just a random mass of people randomly milling around. Because of what's at the center. A centered set has no boundaries to keep people out. But it has something compelling at the center that draws people in. There's no gatekeepers turning people away. Everyone's on equal footing, all being pulled towards the center. So while everyone's welcome... Um, involvement isn't based on who makes over the line. It's based on how close you are to the center and the direction you're moving. So it's quite possible to be far away and moving towards the center and actually quite close and moving away. It's a much more dynamic view. So those who are further out but moving in towards the center aren't looked down upon for being further out because at some point in the past, everybody was further out, right? And everybody recognizes it takes time to be drawn in. Some move faster, some move slower in that. Some even move backwards. So even as you get close to the center, you'll sometimes see people moving away because you know everybody does that at some point or another. Because the pull to the center is never so strong that it can't be resisted. 
And everyone, each one of us, has at some point resisted the call of God in our lives. And we've either stood still or turned back. And so we, real, we understand that that happens. It's part of life. So if a horse corral was like the bounded set, then a water hole on the African plain is much more like the centered set. Often there's only one water hole for miles and miles and miles. And that means that all the animals that live in that area use that water hole. And during the rainy season, they might wander a little bit further away, but they don't go that, get that far away. And in the dry season, you'll see hundreds of different kinds of animals all watering, all drinking at the same water hole. They're all there together. There's no fences to pen them in. There's no cowboys driving them to the water. The water itself draws them because they know that's where life is. If we look at the church this way, people of all backgrounds and beliefs are welcome. They're welcome to join in the conversation. What's important is that they're moving towards Jesus. I experienced this when I first came to faith. I had a rough childhood. Um, I grew up in a poor part of town. Um, my father was very rarely around. Um, and I never really stepped out of my socioeconomic group until I became a Christian. Then suddenly, I was catapulted into this new community that loved and cared for me. Um, it was a downtown church, and people came in from all around the city, all drawn together by their love for Jesus. I had never known anybody who owned their own home, never mind their own business at that point. But here we all were, building site workers and bankers, professionals and laborers, all drawn together because we were drawn to Christ. One writer says, in a centered set church, it's recognized that we're all sinners, all struggling to be the best people we can. But we also believe that the closer we get to the center, to Christ, the more Christ-like our behavior becomes. So there's a dynamic tension there. The tension between who we are today and who we long to become. All of us are on a journey towards Christ-likeness. But we can't get there by ourselves. We need each other. That's why Hebrews also says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, encouraging one another. It's impossible... It's possible, rather, to grow in our faith alone, our understanding of faith alone. We can read scripture. We can get books and read them. We can shut ourselves off from other people and just spend time in scripture and prayer. I'm not sure if that's healthy. When I was in hospital, I started reading a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. It's written by a pastor of a multi-ethnic church in Queens, New York. And I'm impressed by the reading, actually, from Augustine, Desert Fathers, Meister Eckhart, all kinds of medieval church writers, right up to present day. One of the things he talks about is how important community is for our spiritual growth. He tells this story from John Cassian in the 5th century. A, a man named Hero spent 50 years living as a hermit in the desert. 
free from all the concerns of the world. When the other hermits would gather for worship on Sabbath or feast days, Hero refused to participate, lest he gave the impression that he was relaxing his strict disciplines for God. One day, Hero discerned God wanting him to jump into a deep well as a test of his faithfulness. He expected an angel to save him, but fell to the bottom where he lay half dead. His fellow monks pulled him out, trying to convince him that he had not actually heard God's voice but it was useless. Even as he lay dying, they could not convince him that he had not heard the voice of God. He went along so stubbornly with his own deception that he could not be persuaded, even when faced with death, that he'd been deluded by the cleverness of demons. His pride was too great. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian, right? Even hermits who are called to a life of solitude with God recognize their need for community and they meet together even if it's only once a week. There aren't many hermits anymore, at least not in our traditions. But there is a tendency amongst individualistic Westerners, particularly, to believe that all I need is me and Jesus. But if it's only you and Jesus then how are you going to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, encouraging one another? We need each other if we're going to grow into healthy, well-balanced individuals in Christ. I need you to challenge me if you see something in my life that you believe isn't Christ-honoring. And whether you know, know it or not, you need the same thing from me. On a bicycle wheel, The closer that spokes get to the hub at the center of the wheel, the closer they get to each other. In the same way, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get, he he draws us to each other. There is part of the result of that is that we tend to rub up against each other. And that can be uncomfortable at times. It's easy to say that you love people when you don't actually spend time with them. It's much more difficult to consistently love people when you have to deal with their idiosyncrasies and their sins. And the thing is, it isn't any easier for them to deal with your idiosyncrasies and sins. It's uncomfortable. Just remember, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Okay? It's not a bug. It's a feature. It's a large part of how Jesus shapes us into his likeness, which after all is what we all want, right? I think that every day we're either growing closer to Jesus or further away. We'd all like to think that um, our lives, one constant movement towards him, that you know, um, maybe that's true for you. Be happy for you. It would be nice to think that our lives, spiritual lives look like that, right? A nice constant climb up and to the right, as they say in, um, in, in business. Unfortunately, my life looks more like this. What we're hoping is that over the span of our walk with Jesus, it's it's still going up and to the right, yeah? 
But on any given day, it can be up or down. Right? That's, that's just, maybe it's just me, but that's my experience. This is actually the, to- the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our hope is that over the span of our walk with Jesus, we get closer to him. We become more like him. And that our moves towards him outnumber our hesitancy and our backtracking. So I need my brothers and sisters to stir up one another to love and good works, encouraging one another. We we need to be encouraged. We need to be stirred up. There's obvious ways that obvious ways that, that happens. There's some mornings where most of the stirring up and comes from the platform, whether from the speaker or from the worship leaders, where we're encouraged to sing out what we believe to be true. Another would be Wednesday evenings in Bible study, where it's much more of a one another experience as we, we sit face to face around the text of Scripture and we talk about it and we apply it to, to ourselves. But let me also encourage you to make the effort to build a few deep relationships with one or two people in the community. Find someone who'll be a prayer partner. Someone you can really get to know and you can trust to speak truth into your life. That's a really precious thing. And I think that without it, we get less than God's best for our lives. We're called to grow together in Christ-focused faith. And as we focus on Christ and move ever closer to him, we also end up getting closer to one another. And in the process, we will all become more like him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to yourself, not to some set of beliefs, or those those are helpful, or behaviors, or those are expected. You call us to yourself to walk with you, to talk with you, to hear from you, to be changed by your spirit at work in our lives. So Lord, we ask that as a community and as individuals, our lives would more and more reflect who you are as you shape us into your image. In your name we pray. Amen.